Hello, welcome to Really Rated, the movie review podcast. I'm your host, Mitchell Stevens, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Jess Andrews. Jess, how are you? I am very, very good, thank you. I got my choice of film. I'm feeling very jammy, like the cat that got the cream, and I'm very excited to talk about it. Like a jammy dodger. <laughs> I'm a jammy dodger. I'm an artful <laughs> jammy dodger. <laughs> I really want a jammy dodger now. <laughs> crap though aren't they i think they're a bit crap to be honest yeah they do like when you look back at like the biscuits of your youth <laughs> oh i know your bourbons and your custard creams <laughs> oh <laughs> custard creams I don't, actually, I don't actually like custard creams oh do you not i remember really? <laughs> um at uni i used to buy those really cheap tesco value ones <gasps> yeah but they're you really nice to. they're really nice though yeah. to be fair <laughs> to be honest i bet you they're all made in the same factory oh yeah and then one goes to Marks and Spencer's, the other goes to Waitrose. Yeah. They probably just they probably just leave the Tesco ones outside for a bit to get soggy. <laughs> that's the value. That's the one. And the cornflakes, everything that's made in the same, you know, factory. It's just it's just about how much they're loved after production. Definitely. <laughs> the ones from OS sit on a sit on a velvet pillow and <laughs> in a vacuum pack room. <laughs> talking of cornflakes, today we are talking about three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. <laughs> What's that called? <laughs> See, look, I'm an expert podcaster. I can link oh, anything. Oh. Talking about serial rapists. Oh. Yeah, so today we're talking about free billboards. Um, that's what we're going to use as the abbreviation because I can't go through the whole bloody thing. Oh my God, no. Although I must admit, my favourite long title of all time is um, The Assassination of Jesse James. That's a good one. Oh yeah, that's a good film as well. Oh. It is, you know, and actually that's probably one we can do in the future because a lot of people don't like that movie. Really? Really? Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> so the... Director and writer of the film is Martin McDonough. Is it McDonough? I, I think it's McDonough. Mac, McDonough. Yeah, I would say, yeah, Mac, McDonough. I don't know. Irish people hit us up and tell us. <laughs> yeah, see, I, I would say McDonough. I'm just looking at what he's done. Oh, he's done loads. He wrote um, In Bruges, which you can actually tell, I think, when you watch Three Billboards. It has the same, like, tone. I haven't seen In Bruges. Have you not? Oh, I think you'd like it. It's the one with um, Colin Farrell in that, isn't it? Colin, Colin Farrell and um, Brendan Gleeson. Or the Gleeson. They're Irish. They're Irish. They're all Irish. So is Martin McDonough. They're all Irish. Should we do the whole podcast in Irish? That should be funny, wouldn't it? And he did Seven Psychopaths, which I heard is good. Aye, to be sure, to be sure. Isn't that got Colin Farrell in as well? To be sure. <laughs> 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 yes it does yeah it's really good as well that's a dark comedy as well oh, so is that his thing then dark comedy must be mate must be imagine living with him <laughs> <laughs> he probably like he probably wakes up with a pillow over your head and says oh I'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to get my wee end away <laughs> <laughs> oh I'm sorry oh, I was just, just switched off <laughs> Do you know what? Honestly, when me, when me and Rich went to Dublin, it was the most cringiest thing because I just could not stop talking in an Irish accent. <laughs> and Rich, Rich was like, stop it. <laughs> They're going to think you're taking the piss. It, nothing can be as worse than David uh, Boreanaz's 
Irish accent in Buffy. When does he do an Irish accent? Oh, in the flashback. Oh, in the when he's in the flashback. Yeah. Yeah, flashback. yeah. Oh, you're right, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I've watched it in ages. You're right, you're right, though. Yeah, because when you see him getting turned by Dala and he goes, Oh, you're a wee little thing, aren't you? And it's like... <laughs> Are you Scottish or Irish? Pick a lane. <laughs> oh, it's like fucking Gerard Butler, isn't it? It's like, I'm pretty sure he is Scottish, but every accent he does, he sounds like... <laughs> but his Scottish accent sounds fake as well. I know, it's so weird. Like, I remember watching... Um, oh, what was he in when he actually played with Scott? I can't remember what it was. And I remember saying to Rich, is he doing his Irish accent again? <laughs> like, I'm so confused. Bless him. At least he's got the he's got the the looks, and that's all that matters in Hollywood. <laughs> You're not going to believe what just happened. What? My downstairs neighbour started banging on the wall, on the <gasps> ceiling. Really? Oh, bash back! They're such bastards. Wankers. <laughs> just keep talking. Just keep talking. Has he done it before? Yeah, they're right. You don't understand them, right, assholes? not being funny there's people that are like have like wild parties all the time <laughs> well he's one of these people as well that like because he's like this um <laughs> he's a bit pathetic he's like a sort of asian rocker mm. Mm. and he will like play his guitar and that really loud and we don't say anything really yeah but it's one of them things isn't it if you live in a flat these are things that you just like get over okay what i'll do is i'm gonna move into the front room do you want to give me two minutes? We're going to pick up the yeah, yeah. microphone and laptop. No problemo. So yes, it was it was directed by Martin McDonough. McDonough. Um, who actually, I didn't realise, did all the stuff he did. When I first watched Three Billboards, I was like, hmm. So I googled it and I was like, oh, that makes sense. Because you know when a director comes up on like quite a famous or quite a, like a well-regarded movie and you always think to yourself like, oh, okay, he must be famous then. He must be like... He must have like done a lot before. And actually, he's more of a writer and a playwright than he is a director. Um, and I don't actually think it shows, to be honest. I think he's actually got a really nice control of the camera. Something that I noticed when I watched it again was that the camera was very like, what's the word? Kinetic. Like he was sticking it on top of cars and like throwing it around and like following characters through windows. <laughs> All sorts. Hello. So- <laughs> Hello. <laughs> right, okay, right, let's start. Um, what was your last point? <laughs> uh, just about how uh, the director was really good. Oh, yeah. Um, you know how like we normally sort of say about sound design and that, and then I go, oh, I didn't really notice. You saying about the kineticness of the camera, I didn't really notice, to be honest, but there's certain scenes where the camera work complemented the emotion that was trying to be portrayed or was being portrayed in the certain scenes. So, and the one uh, bit that I always notice, uh, always notice, this is the first time I watched it. <laughs> <laughs> Every time. <laughs> you know the bit Mildred, played by Frances McDormand, gets that letter from uh, Willoughby, and she's sitting outside and you see the train going in the background. Yeah. I, I don't know if it was a direct, it must have been a, Conscious. Yeah, conscious cho- conscious choice. But it just felt like it was kind of like Willoughby passing on with the train. Oh, yes. I didn't actually think that, but now you said it. <laughs> there's so many like different... <laughs> I'm jumping on your train. <laughs> yeah, but there's so many different like choices that the director made. Um, but one point I have to bring up, and it's, t- it's totally trivial. I, I, I've noticed that there's a lot of slamming doors in the film. 
is there? <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally sat here thinking, when does anyone slam the door? All the all the time. It's like Really? Yeah. I got to watch it again. <laughs> But I couldn't decide whether or not, as in, like, that's something you would do because it's a family drama, or whether or not it was the director sort of saying that, you know... Because, to me, a slam on a door is like a full stop, like that's the closing of a chapter, that like you slam a door to end an argument. Hmm. Interesting, because it does have a very angry vibe about it, I think, the movie. Even though there's a lot of calm soundtrack and a lot of, like, beautiful landscapes and, like, Missouri is a sleepy sort of state... It's it has a lot of like brewing anger in it, which I really appreciated. Like I mean, I you know what I mean. I love I love a, a crime movie, a murder crime movie. Yeah. And the weird thing about it was, was in my view, was that actually even though it was about Angela's murder, it didn't actually concentrate on the murder. But I was still hooked. Yeah, um, because you don't you don't see it. They talk about it a little bit. Like obviously, the billboards are about it, but there's actually no investigation scene. If you see what I mean, because it's a cold case. Yeah, it's almost like we sort of entered the film after everything's happened, and it's not, yeah, like a sequel. <laughs> yeah, it was it was very odd. Like I really did enjoy the fact that we jumped straight in, though. Me too. You start the film and like literally she pulls up <laughs> to those billboards and she's sort of thinking, hmm. like she's coming up with a plan. Yeah. And I thought that was really clever because obviously, to be quite honest, the title itself, you know, Free Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, is quite a odd choice for a film. Yeah. So the fact that like they open up the film and you have this kind of preconceived knowledge before going in. So the fact that it opens up with Frances McDormand sitting there and she's, you can tell she's thinking and you think to yourself, oh, these are going to be the free billboards. Dun, dun, dun. <gasps> <laughs> no, but I thought, I thought it was quite, um, it was actually really effective in the, in the first few like minutes where they're sort of just showing the billboards and how they're kind of like run down, and never used. It just, it kind of says a lot about where they are, what time period it is. You can tell they've not been used, therefore... There's no real business around. It's a depressed sort of town. Nothing goes on. And I thought that was so much better than having it like some billboards that are used and they're like, you know, welcome to Ebbing and like, you know, come drink Diet Pepsi in our bars, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's no sort of, none of that, which made you, makes you feel quite isolated when you watch it. You sort of, you feel like you're there. And I thought that, Frances McDormand, I mean, she's always been a good actress, in my opinion, but I don't really hold the Oscars in that much, much, um, you know, high regard these days. Yeah. But I think, but I think she deserved the Oscar. Um, do you not? <laughs> it's going to be a long explanation, but like, so, right. <laughs> I'll strap in. Well, first of all, it's hard for me to say whether she deserved it or not, because I haven't seen the other films that she was up against. True. For me, Frances McDormand is such a good actress anyway that I could never say that she wouldn't deserve that because I think she's an accomplished actress and sometimes do you know actually no I take it back I think she does deserve it but what my reticence to say that both her and Sam Rockwell sort of like deserve to win something for this film is the fact that it's a black comedy and what I mean by that is when I'm watching it I know it's a drama 
But when you cast someone like Sam Rockwell in a film, mm. there's always this comedic tinge to him no matter what he does. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But what I love about Sam Rockwell and Francis McDormand, and to be honest, Woody Harrison as well, is... And I know you have a bit of an issue against Woody Harrison. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, particularly Sam Rockwell, though, is... I can say without hesitation that he is a really accomplished and great actor because I mm. never feel like he detracts from any film he's in. He always raises it up. Yeah, 100%. But what bothers me... It not even bothers me, but then... When I'm watching the film, it's almost like I'm sort of got a feet in both worlds. And maybe it's the fact that I react a bit awkwardly to black comedies. But like when there's a scene that I feel like it is 100% drama and 100% tension filled, I don't know if I can ever take Sam Rockwell seriously. So he sort of takes me out of the film a little bit. Really? Hmm. But I can't, I can't really explain it that well because I actually really enjoyed the film. And I actually appreciated it, appreciated it more for being a black comedy than a straight up drama. Because if it had been a straight up drama without any funny business in it, yeah, it had been so depressing. Oh, I know. I, it's funny though, you know, because the first time I watched it, I didn't really, I knew what it was about. And I never, even though it was funny, it never, I mean, I say funny, <laughs> it had like comedic moments. I never really thought of it as a comedy. Like when I when I when we turned the movie off, I was like, that was a like a sad drama, you know. But actually, on a rewatch, I was like, actually, <laughs> you can tell this is written to be a comedy. It's really weird. Yeah, and that's the problem I was having because the subject matter is so dark. And to be fair, and it's quite a, it's a credit to the actors themselves, but like. I think the main three people, because they're like comedians at heart, I think it's all in the delivery. And it certainly is for Sam Rockwell. Like the way he delivers some lines, it just had me cracking up. I absolutely love the fact. I mean, I love a redemption story anyway. There's nothing that like cheers me up more than when someone in a movie starts out like a bad guy and they learn something and they have an actual character arc. And I thought this movie was a really good, um, just a really good example of that. Because you end like in the beginning of the movie, you just you hate him. He's just like, oh, he's just abhorrent. He's just so. He has like the odd scene with his mum that's quite like humanizing, and he is played for laughs, you know. But he has tortured people of color. <laughs> he did throw somebody out of a window. <laughs> like yeah. he's not he's not a nice person. He's incredibly bigoted. But by the end, you see that he has done like a pretty big one eighty, and. It's almost, in a way, I would describe it and, like, hear me out. I almost see it as more of, like, a love story between him and um, Mildred. Not in, like, a romantic love sort of way, but it follows a lot of the tropes of, like, the kind of the rom-com, you know, oh, they hate each other and they have all this, like, you know, banter and fights and stuff. And then they start to, like, understand one another. Yeah. And I thought at the end of the movie when they were like driving in the car together and he did like, he made that gesture for her and stuff. I just thought like, not like I said, not in a romantic way, but I thought like, oh, that's so nice to see that like people who initially hate each other and cannot see eye to eye at all can actually change and actually become like correlative with each other. 
And I thought that was like really nice. I really, I really like it. Actually, it warms my heart, actually. I thought it was really nice. I agree with that because, and hear me out, feminists. Um, <laughs> I feel there's a tone in the film that you could definitely take as sexist because this film revolves around Mildred. But all her interactions, apart from her like friend, Denise, all her actions, especially the ones that actually contribute to the story, are dealing with men. Yes. And the thing that you'll notice is that it's all about men who are, comp- first of all, combative with her, mm. but then they decide to raise her up. Yeah. So That's you've got true. like w- Willoughby, who is at first sort of like pushing against the fact that she did this billboard thing. Yeah. But then obviously once he kills himself... He, he raises her up through the letters and also the letters that he sends to other people. And then, like you said, with Sam Rockwell's Dixon, he is the main sort of combative person in, in the film against uh, this these three, three billboards. Yeah. And then he realises that, you know, through him having to be taken down a peg or two, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that he realised that, no, he needs to help this woman rather than, like, tell her that she can't do things. So maybe it's not a sexist edge. It's quite probably a progressive edge then, really, because it's about men sort of getting behind a woman. Well, I think in a lot of ways, it's sort of, to me, I read it as that she is taking something that is in the eyes of the law and the eyes of the justice system and like American society, something that's impersonal. Oh, like this cold case. Oh yeah, a girl got murdered like a year ago. We didn't solve it, end of. She's saying no 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 like my child is dead you have done nothing you know you haven't done enough and she hasn't got that control so she's trying to like do anything she can to get her like closure and I think it's actually really interesting in that they made I mean as you know I don't really like Woody Woody Harrelson sorry Woody it's just your face (laughs) but you know like I'm sorry but I just I don't understand why he doesn't play villains anyway whatever um yeah so the the character of the um the sheriff is so interesting to me because he is so placid and so like he's actually quite sympathetic to her but she doesn't want him to be sympathetic she wants him to be active and go out and do something so even though he's actually technically a good guy his his inaction makes him a bad guy. His letters redeem him at the end. And he's this kind of weird, like, prophet character. <laughs> um, but I thought it was really interesting how their... I, I loved their, their dynamic in the movie because they were fighting, but at the same time not fighting. Oh, and, and that bit where, like, she's in the holding cell. And he, and he like, chokes up on her. yeah. That was like, that actually made me want to cry a little bit because her reaction, it was, it was quite mother. Like she actually went like, oh, it's okay, baby, to him. Yeah, I love that choice. Me too. Like I find that super powerful in that she's being this like tough woman and being all like, you know, you're not doing enough. Rah, rah, rah. Look at me. I, I stabbed a dentist. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> but the second that he shows, well, vulnerability and his sickness... Despite her saying in the beginning, oh, I don't care that, you're, that you've got cancer. Because at the end of the day, if, if your child is dead and no one's doing anything about it, I'm sorry, but realistically, you're not going to care about the sheriff having cancer. No. And I thought that was a brave choice too, actually. I thought that was a really brave choice. 
because it showed it showed that she is like like she's like a stone pillar you know she's like i don't care about anything else apart from getting justice for my daughter but then as the movie goes on you actually see quite a lot of vulnerability in her strength yeah like when when, and there's when there's moments alone or there's moments where she needs to comfort someone she's actually incredibly maternal which does show and i think they needed to do that in order to justify her like her vigor in going after the killer because the one scene that you see of her and angela (laughs) is they have that kind of relationship where they're like they're one of those families that are like they're horrible to each other and they shatter each other all the time but like there are moments of levity and like they do obviously they love each other yeah families families fight you know and i think it it shows you that she has that human side that she has this like she is a mother after all and she's struggling to connect with her son because of what happened she's obviously can't connect with angela so there are times when you see her actually like i think kind of using people as conduits in a, in a certain way but i thought what was really interesting was peter dinklage's character because he's the only one that cha- the, in my opinion he he's the only one that ever chastises her and she like actually seems to be shameful of her actions i think she needed to be taken to, like not taken down a peg but kind of shown that just because she's angry and just because she's grieving doesn't mean that she can act this way to people the thing that really kind of i suppose did annoy me because i think you are meant to be annoyed by the fact that like everyone in the town seemed to be so like unsympathetic to this thing that's happened to her yeah when they when they say um when the the priest comes or the father comes oh that's such a good scene when the father comes over and he's like I did a poll. Everybody's with you, you know, about the um, Angela thing, but nobody's with you about the billboards thing. And I thought that is so telling that everyone's happy to say, oh, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, but no one wants to do anything about it. Like when you take action, you become a villain. Yeah, it's like there's there's one element of the film that I feel like was perhaps underserved or maybe sort of like the director chose not to sort of use it as a at all but if it almost feels like ebon itself were ashamed of this dirty little secret they've got which is this mm. you know teenager who was like raped and murdered and then burned yeah not in our town <laughs> i don't know i can't decide whether or not i wanted them to sort of use that explicitly more or whether or not you do you get that through them denying her anyway because no one is on her side. They're all sort of saying to her, like, uh, it's almost like they, because they, they always say to her, like, but the sheriff has cancer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's sort of their way of saying, like, shh, get back in your corner. Yeah, like, oh my God, you're such a bad person for wanting somebody to do their job. Yeah. Because they've got cancer. Well, unfortunately, that's life, isn't it? <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of like, I mean, the bit where, uh, Willoughby first goes to speak to Mildred on, like, on the swings which has such a nice symmetry as well with the ending um, and he says to her you know like oh there's one more thing you know I have I have cancer and she's like yeah I know and he's like and you still put them up and she's like yep <laughs> and his face is so like he's like, he's like a little kicked puppy and he can't understand and he's like so shocked that that she would not care which 
I understand, like, because, you know, I'm sure if you have, you know, God forbid, you know, you have cancer, you probably are used to people pussyfooting around you a bit and sort of making sure you're okay all the time. So for the fact for her to be so, you know, in quotes, insensitive is probably shocking to him. But actually, the the thing that I actually, on a second watch, I mean, I felt it the same way the first, uh, felt the same the first time I watched it as well. But the second time really cemented it for me is that what I love most about the movie as a whole is that it's all about how complicated human relationships are. Yeah. Like, there's no character relationship in that movie that isn't like dug up and examined and like mildred has such awkward interactions with everyone really yeah <laughs> <laughs> but i th- but i find her really i do find her really sympathetic and like and i i believe that she's a real person i thought she was ri- written extremely well yeah and acted really well because it sounds weird but she did little things and that like my mum would do <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but like, I, I know it's such a small moment and we're, like we've already said, the bit where she sort of um, says to him like, it's okay, baby. I, the, the choice of that word, not to say that like I was totally against her up until that point or that I didn't understand what she was going through as a character. But the fact that she sort of used that word, and like you said, it was very mothering. It sort of just warmed her to me so much. And I was sort of like, you know, right now I'm behind you. And like, yeah. I, I, I get you as a person. So when she has like all these interactions, like, like later in the film and like, as the film goes on, even though she's like a harsh, you know, ball buster. Yeah. You get it. And if you didn't have that moment where she was like totally caring for another human being, like she left the cell to go get help. Yeah. For all intents and purposes, she was a criminal at that point. It's almost like it broke the social norms for a second. Mm, yeah. And that's what she's doing throughout the entire film. She's breaking social norms in how a woman should act. She doesn't act yeah. like that at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! But you know what? The, the scene that made me made me howl was um when she went to the dentist and then did the the thumb thing, and then in the next scene, the sheriff <laughs> comes and he's like. Have you been to the dentist? She's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the best lines when I love it when Sheriff Willoughby says, um, nobody cares about dentists. He's like, this isn't about dentists. No one cares about yeah. dentists. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, like they have such a good rapport as well. And I think and and interestingly as well, like it was I think it was written very bravely because there were so many easy ways that he could have like built conflict and had like a big dramatic like screaming scene, you know. Like I thought unfairly, when in the day after just after Mildred has the confrontation with the um suspect in the shop and then um Willoughby's wife comes in, I was thinking, Oh shit, like they're gonna have a cat fight because yeah. you know, it all went down. And it was so sad because the wife was like, you know, I don't blame you. Like she was obviously like incredibly angry and upset and shocked and just delivering a letter. But, you know, you could tell that Mildred was like upset for her and sorry for her loss and stuff and didn't know how to react because she knew that she'd kind of done Willoughby wrong. Well, not really. That's the thing. Like, it's so complicated because... Do you feel that what she did contributed to him killing himself? No. No, I don't. See, I, no, I don't. No, I don't either. And I think the film presents that. Yeah, same. But can you... 
the thing is, though, it's so tough because I can understand why people in the town would think that, but then... But he has cancer, so... That's the thing. See, I wouldn't think that either. And, oh, my God, I'll tell you what, the newscaster wound me up, but we'll go back to Abby Cornish for a second. Okay. <laughs> yeah, carry on with what you're saying. Sorry. Oh, no, but no, no, just that I, I found... I didn't like her performance very much up until that scene, if I'm honest. I found her voice... I don't, I don't, is Abby Cornish British or... Like, I'm so yeah. glad you brought this up. Her she's she's was Aust- really irritating. She's Australian. Oh, is she? And this is what I was going to say, because I I think Abby Cornish is a good actress. I think she's very effective actress in that. So I've seen her in Jack Ryan, okay. the Amazon TV series. And she plays Jack Ryan's love interest in the second season. Uh, okay, I've not seen the second season. <laughs> I was like, where is she? I have no idea who you're talking about. Oh, it's not good as the first season. first season is amazing of that series. Yeah, really good. But I noticed something in that series that I looked it up and obviously she's Australian, but like that, that took me out a little bit. But I agree with you. I didn't enjoy her until that scene. I think she handled that scene very well. I thought so because it did make me want to cry a little bit. You know, she was like, you know, it's hard to know what to do <laughs> today. And I thought, fuck yeah. I bet it is, mate. I thought it was very brave to take him out halfway through the film. But then to use his death as a vehicle for, like, change, mm. I thought was very clever. Yeah, I agree. It was... I just I just really liked how he was, like, this kind of man who was, a, like, a, an authority figure and had, like, a lot of wisdom to impart, as he does. But he's also just a man who is vulnerable to sickness and ineffectiveness. Like, he, do, he doesn't solve the crime. He's not the hero of the story. He, well, he is in a way, but he's he's fallible, like they all are. You could, I mean, well, the suicide thing is a very touchy subject, but I mean, you can argue the toss about it being like selfish and oh my god, you killed yourself and your wife found your body and blah blah blah. But like, it's understandable that he didn't want her to have to deal with him being sick and you know all the all the horrible things that come with a terminal illness. And you can tell that he was quite proud in that even though he did have cancer and even though he did sort of expect Mildred to like lay off him a bit, he still, I thought, was quite brave in the in the fact that like there's that bit where um, he's at the doctor's, but he just like rips the IV out and he's like, I fucking had enough of this. And then he goes off to like solve, try to solve the case. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's just like, he's got pride. You know, he doesn't want to be looked at as a, as a failure at his job. He doesn't want to be this kind of like shriveled, sick man. I can see where he's coming from. Because if you're in that position and everyone around you sort of like, we understand, Sheriff, and blah, blah. It's sort of like, but I don't want you to understand. I want you to sort of yeah. kind of like leave me alone or just get on with it. In a way, he's quite, he's always like Mildred in that he has that same ethos of like, don't just say it. You know, I'm, I'm fed up people saying that they're with you. I'm fed up people saying that they understand. Just words. Words don't mean anything. It's actions that define you. And I think a lot of that is kind of reflected in in um, Dixon's character as well, in that he, he talks the talk a lot. And obviously he has like these violent outbursts. But underneath it all, he wants to be a good person. He's just not necessarily <laughs> the brightest. <laughs> Although, well, that's a lie, actually. I mean, he seems very, um, like, very dim in the beginning. But obviously he like gets the DNA and all this stuff. Um, but that brings me on to something that I find quite interesting in that, I mean, I'm guessing you guys have taken heed of our spoiler alert and not watch and, uh, not listen to this without yeah, watching definitely. it, but when 
you meet this suspect guy in the shop and he's meant to be like the killer and then it all comes out that it wasn't him he was like away on tour in afghanistan or something when the when the murder took place so the the murder is never solved but get this right i was i was um researching just like some like facts and figures and stuff about about this movie last night and i came across an article which actually blew my mind a little bit and the theory goes from this this particular writer that charlie the dad may have killed angela and at first i was like nah but then it actually started to make a little bit of sense because he's like this violent horrible guy who clearly has like emotional issues he has a thing for young girls <gasps> it's mentioned in the movie that angela was set on fire when she died and obviously he is prone to arson and there's just a lot of parallels with like the crimes he does and the and the crime and angela's murder the violence the fire the, the sexual attraction to young girls you know all this sort of stuff and I thought, oh my God, that's so interesting that actually, I wonder if he burned the billboard out of guilt. I wonder if, you know, she went to her, she was going, you know, her dad maybe was like driving her back to her mum's and then got into a fight and then he murdered her. And I mean, you, you see it all the time, things about incest and, you know, horrible molestation and all things. It would explain a lot of like why their family was so fractious. And I don't know, I just find it a really interesting theory. I was like, because mm, obviously at the end, there is no answer and maybe maybe that's the point maybe there is meant to be no murderer and it's just one of those sad things that there's never going to be solved but as i was reading it i was like oh my god <laughs> see but that's very interesting though because for me theories like that actually do enhance films for me because mm. you know like in scream like there's so many sort of theories out there on like which one out sorry spoilers for scream so if you don't want to be spoilers for scream <laughs> um which one out of billions do actually committed what murder yes see but i love theories like that me too because when i watch it i think to myself oh yeah you can tell it's like you know he did that or he did that by the way they move and like yeah so to watch and so if i was to watch this film again and i wouldn't be against watching the film again but like to watch it thinking that you know the dad did it it would only enhance my watching of the film because to jump to the end of the film before I watched the film, I had a, not really a spoiler, but I had a someone in my family turn around to me and say that, um, oh, they really enjoyed the film, but they hated the ending. Really? And they actually said to me, you, you will hate the ending. Really? Yeah, so I was watching thinking, and honestly, it put me off a little bit watching the film. Hmm. Thing is, I didn't hate the ending. No. And I don't know whether or not it's because I've been taught as like a film student to sort of like sometimes it doesn't need to be a definitive ending to a film yeah. like or, or a story as long as it as long as it makes the point that it was the movie's trying to make because yeah because the point this film was trying to make was because even sheriff willoughby says it like, you know it's one of those murders that isn't going to be solved it's going to be solved by one day mm-hmm. by a drunken person talking about it in a bar yeah yeah that's life yeah and i've watched so many true crime documentaries where that happens where it gets solved like you know 20 30 years down the line yeah or or not solved or not at all yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and this is what this film is about it's about this woman trying to find a way to move on mm. and to get into a bit of a conversation about the ending actually do you think not that it matters and maybe that's the point of the the ending that it doesn't matter but do you think they commit the murder uh no i don't think they will i don't either no i don't think they will i think i think it's more the fact that they're gonna 
Like I'd love to see like the whole like transcript of their of their car ride. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think I don't think that they want to kill somebody. There's almost like there's there's a deleted scene somewhere <laughs> where you see the entire yeah, yeah. car ride. And I think what happens is that Mildred comes to realise that all she's wanted for that entire film is for someone to justify her mission. Actually be on her side. Yeah, and she gets that through Dixon. Yeah, which is like the most crazy thing. Because in the beginning, that's like the last person. Yeah. Um, The fact as well that she admitted as well to burning down the police station was so amazing because it was was a massive deal, but at the same time was a non-deal. For her, it was like... A massive character kind of like building thing where she was like okay I'm gonna admit my wrongdoings and sort of like you know he might he because the thing is it's actually a massive leap of faith for her because she's like unintentionally disfigured this man <laughs> so for all she knows he's gonna flip out you know she's got so much evidence in the in the in the past in the in the rest of the movie that he is a violent underneath it all a violent person and the fact that she takes that leap of faith in saying like this is what I did. I admit to you, this is my fault. And the fact that he turns around and just goes, yeah, I knew that. Like, it's all good. <laughs> yeah. It's so, like, I thought that was really, be- like, really beautiful. Yeah, he, like, he says to her, who else would it appear? <laughs> yeah, and they laugh and it's like, oh my God. Because <laughs> it's something that was a massive deal for her, but not for him. And, that, and it's all about, you know, like, taking responsibility for your actions and, like, becoming a better person. And I just, and the only person that doesn't really is the dad in that moment i think she receives solace because i think Mm. it's very telling that the one scene you see of them interact is when she storms out her daughter she storms out the house and he's and she says oh you know i hope you get raped yeah and so the fact that it happens you can tell there's this underlying well you can tell without even being told that there's this underlying guilt i thought it was a little bit on the nose i'll be honest yeah in that scene but i didn't hate it it wasn't like it wasn't it didn't take me out of the movie it just i just thought that's a bloody coincidence isn't it (laughs) i think what the director was probably trying to show without like just said without being told that she has this guilt because up until that point you don't realize she has a guilt at the fact that she might have caused it she only has guilt by the fact that it's not been solved yeah exactly like the whole time she's just trying to get some like redemption and some sort of like you know almost as if if she thinks that she, if she solves it, if she gets, you know, gets them on to solve it, that will right some of the wrong. Um, but the thing that actually, um, I just, I just find, I just honestly, like, I liked it more the second time I watched it as well. Because I, th- I actually did think, when I picked it, I was a bit like, I was second guessing myself a bit. And I was thinking, oh, I'm not sure, like, it's not controversial enough and all this. But I got so much more from the second view of it because it, I, I realised as well, actually, that the pacing, the pacing was excellent. And that's not something that I usually, like, notice or sort of, like, unless it's bad, unless it's bad pacing. Yeah. Um, it's not something I massively notice and appreciate, but those sort of stories in sleepy towns with, like, murder investigations and, like, dramas and things can quite often be very, very slow. Oh, oh my God. definitely. And it's not, is it? It's not. No, that's that's why I texted you when I was watching it, going, <laughs> "This is zipping along," and I really enjoyed that. It honestly, it literally does go from one great scene to the next, and that is so rare. And if you think about it, you're actually dealing with the um, <laughs> like the business end of a murder. Like often, like what's entertaining or thrilling about like a horror film or a thriller film, like solving the case. 
but the, or, or that there's a serial killer actively killing at the same time. So yeah. You, so you yeah. see those scenes. Yes. I mean, I'm not saying I want to see a scene where she's being raped, no. but like, it's not like we're following a serial killer. It's not like we're following someone that's sort of like actively killing as the film's going along. Mm. You're dealing with quite boring stuff. I just thought it was so interesting in that it's like, it's kind of a film about something that's relatively, I hasten to say, boring. You know, like a cold kit, you know, it's been months and months ago and it's not been not been solved and probably isn't going to be solved. Like you describe it to someone and say, oh yeah, it's about a mother and her daughter was killed like eight months ago before the film takes place. And she just tries to get the attention of the sheriffs and doesn't get solved. Right? You'd just be like, oh, okay. That doesn't sound very interesting. <laughs> but they make it so interesting and so like more of a character study than the actual events in the film itself. It'd be a really boring episode of some murders or something. Yeah, <laughs> literally, yeah. And the only, the only, there was a few, there was a few little like flaws in the movie. I thought um, that I didn't hate, but were a bit like, mm. um, I didn't love, even though I, I liked Samara Weaving's performance as Penelope, <laughs> um, but I did find it a little a little unfitting it was a bit just a bit clunky in that everyone else their comedy was very much within the situation yes whereas i felt like her comedy was in her delivery which isn't a bad thing but i found it a little bit tonally off in the movie yeah like i don't think she i don't think she did it wrong i think it is very much in the style of um like in bruges that kind of like kind of irrelevant kind of irreverent comedy where it's like a bit off which is fine but certain scenes that were meant to be quite like dark and dramatic maybe maybe intentionally fair enough but when she was like doing her sort of like silly valley girl like i don't know just like <laughs> i read it on a bookmark <laughs> yeah just from the way a book she... i was reading about polo <laughs> oh was it oh the horse polio one. Polo. Do you know what I mean? Like that I didn't I didn't find her bad and I didn't find her not funny. But just that those bits didn't really like gel too well with me. But that's not a bad like that's not like a gripe. Do you know what I mean? No, you're you're absolutely right. It's her it was her delivery. It was just a little bit a little bit sort of over the just like a, 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 a like a whisker over the top, if you know what I yeah. mean. Yeah. I think it would be unfair for me to say she was miscast. Mm. Because if you can get Samara Weaving to be in your film, I think you should go for it. Yeah. Um, and she's she's quickly becoming one of my favourite actresses in Hollywood at the moment. I've still got all of her movies lined up to watch. <laughs> yes, and um, I don't think you'd be disappointed. I don't think I will be either, because I thought she was good. I, But thinking about it, so I was thinking about it quite a lot, because I was thinking, like, in a movie that I think is pretty... Obviously, I've, I think is really good. I was thinking... Why don't I like Penelope's character? Like, why does it rub me up the wrong way? And I think a lot of it is to do with the fact that she needed to be a little bit, a little bit vacuous. Yeah. (laughs) Because she's with Charlie and Charlie is a wanker. Like a proper wanker. And I, and it seems to me that it's meant to show that he likes controlling people he likes having a girlfriend who is a bit i hasten to say ditzy do you know what i mean like it's, it's like if like like so anyone like mildred 
or you know like any other character in the film who is quite with it and quite sort of like bright wouldn't probably go for someone like charlie because he's just not a very pleasant person and he's got a lot of baggage do you think she wasn't vacuous enough i think she was pretty vacuous (laughs) yeah i think they were successful in the fact that she did come across to me as ditzy she came across as the sort of person who would be with him so that makes sense to me yeah I think Charlie was a good casting choice because for me, I feel like he came across the sort of like older gentleman that could bag a girl like that. Did you ever get the feeling that they wanted to have Sean Penn, but they couldn't afford him, so they got the other guy instead? (laughs) Yeah, but I always think that with that actor. (laughs) He looks just like him, doesn't he? (laughs) Yeah. But he was good though. He was good. The thing that I don't find believable about Charlie though, is I don't think him and Mildred would have been together. I think her past self might have been with him. That is true, actually. Yeah, when you see the flashback. But I think her her now self, she had enough of all the shit and all the violence and, you know, and that's probably why she's like the way she is, maybe. True, yeah. Um, But I don't know, obviously. But I, I can see how if you've been like a battered wife and abused and stuff that you would become this kind of hard-hitting, like, taking no shit off people because she's sick of it, you know, and she's, yeah. she's sick of the injustice and she probably she probably as well blames herself she probably feels like she maybe she wasn't a good mum because she because she put up with all this like abuse and that's why her kids are all like swearing at each other and <laughs> you know i think i think that their family was quite dysfunctional yeah and i think she probably did try to keep it together but did he actually leave her for i think so for penelope i get the impression that in, from the flashback, he had only just left her for Penelope. Yeah. I'm not sure. And then all, all this happens with Angela. I'm not actually sure it, how long him and Penelope have been together for. And it's, it's, it's quite ambiguous back. how long Angela's been dead, though, as well. Because I'm only going by the fact that her brother didn't seem to have aged that much from when you see the flashback. Yes, that's true. Although that could just be that they couldn't, like... <laughs> Yeah, age him up. <laughs> they couldn't do it in the movie, but um, I thought the the son was a bit of a non cat. Well, <clears throat> he was kind of like a. He didn't. I don't think he needed to be there. Rather, he was more just there to like, like he was a bit of an exposition vehicle. Yeah. Not in like a not in like a bad way. Not in like a, you know, oh he was a crap character, but just yeah. It's almost like in the scenes that he's in. The director or the because he's the writer as well he yeah. couldn't justify having anyone else there but him yeah. so for instance you know when they're driving home and you see the billboards on yes. fire his character could easily have been denise yes definitely but then the director of i think he probably felt like well how could we justify her being in the car with her at that late at night going to because it seems like her house is like past those billboards yeah and i think they needed like a link between her and the ex-husband as well yeah Another thing that bothered me about the film was, <laughs> I don't know about you, Jess, but there there seemed to be this sort of like undertone of subtext of like homophobia in the film. Oh, what with Dixon and the and Red? Yeah, but then it felt like his homophobia was so explicit that it made you or made me feel <laughs> that he was repressed. Yeah, you definitely could read it that way. Hundred percent. Yeah. Because, like, you know the scene when he's crying and he's hugging that other yeah. cop? Yeah, I thought he was going to kiss him. <laughs> yeah. 
No, I did. No, I actually, yeah, I did. I did think he was going to kiss him, but I didn't think it was a massive plot point of the film. Like, I don't, I don't a hundred percent back the idea that the director was trying to trying to say, oh, all bad people are repressed homo- um, homosexuals. No, <laughs> neither do I. But I feel like don't put it in there then, mm. or like because they make such a big deal of him like battering. Red, who I don't think is gay, because you see that scene where Mildred is watching him flirt with that girl across the windows. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely. You definitely could read it that way. I wish it wasn't there, only because I feel like there were so many other things that they were dealing with that I felt like were more successful. So, for instance, even though you didn't see him, you know, like, battering any, like, black person. Yeah. The fact that it was stated by interactions and you see how he deals with the new black sheriff. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That that was more successful in getting that across. Yeah, he he was definitely more racist than he was. Yeah. But it's all bad. But then I feel like his interaction with his new boss towards the end showed that he was probably willing to change or at least sort of overcome his prejudice prejudice i can't say that word prejudices (laughs) yeah that i I actually i really appreciated his character growth like because sam rockwell usually plays like you said like the the idiot or someone with character yeah he usually has a character arc he's quite good at sort of like making you believe that he can be both yeah both sort of people um the nearest comparison i have to this role actually or like him experiencing growth is moon oh i saw that but i didn't really like it (laughs) but like i feel like that was the first time i saw sam rockwell as a serious actor the first time i saw him was in the green mile he scared the shit out of me (laughs) i do feel like and i think this is something that all people in hollywood experience that i do feel like he is pigeonholed but the fact that he can sort of like take a role that he's been pigeonholed in i'm not saying the director pigeonholed him in this because i think the casting of him is quite inspired because oh my god sorry he's 51 no no way sorry i'm like i am shook well i've just recently watched iron man 2 right yeah and he looks no different now to him in that and that was like 2008 no 2007 also i've noticed he looks like gary oldman (laughs) yeah i can see it the one scene that i need to mention because i feel i feel like if we leave the podcast i feel remiss that i didn't mention it (laughs) you know the scene where dixon's listening to abba yes Chikatita, and they're all finding out about Willoughby's death. Yeah, yeah. I found that hilarious, but then at the same time, I felt guilty for laughing. But there's a lot, actually. Think, you know what? Now that you've just said that, I've just realised something that's quite interesting in that both times that important things happen, the finding out about Willoughby and the police station burning down, so like two major negative events in Dixon's life, He's completely fucking ignorant too. <laughs> and isn't that such like a on the nose, but also kind of clever way of saying like, ignorance is not your friend. <laughs> yeah. Like open your eyes to people and maybe if you listen, you will grow. Do you find him too cartoonish? Uh, no, I think, I think he straddles it quite well. I think I like the fact that they put all the scenes in with his mum because I think that really humanised him yeah but like you said because it's a black comedy it will have those sort of like characterizations i mean even mildred is very funny in a lot of scenes yeah i like the way i like the little scene that she does with her bunny slippers but that was hilarious i'm gonna i'm gonna fuck up the motherfuckers 
I found every time she was confronting someone just hilarious just a choice of like dialogue that's what i think this is a very well written film oh 100 yeah it's there's not there's actually not much i can say that i don't like about it if i'm really honest like i didn't expect to like it as much as i did but when i saw the posters for it and when it won the oscars like in 2017 or 18 or whatever it was i i thought it was a straight up drama so normally I sort of bulk at the fact that like you know when people describe things as quirky. Yeah. However, I feel like the film should have maybe sort of lent into that more through its marketing. Like this is more of a quirky film than you realize. Cuz I mean I, there are clues everywhere in the if you if you know who the director and writer is then and you've seen in Bruges things like that then I guess you would know. Francis McDormand, Sam Rockwell, Woody Harrelson, they're all quite comedic actors. True. I mean if you've seen Fargo like you know that Francis, Mc- Francis McDormand can do straight face comedy really well. Yeah. But yeah, no, I agree. I think they should have marketed marketed it a bit a bit savvier. Um, but well, I mean, it won Oscars and had loads of buzz, so clearly they did all right. <laughs> um, so let's get so let's get on to the rating portion of the of the show. So what are our free websites again? Because I always forget. So our free, I know. <laughs> Our three websites that we go on usually are IMDb, Rotten Tomatoes, and Metacritic. Um, as you guys will probably assume, they're pretty high rating. So Rotten Tomatoes is 90% fresh. Metacritic, 88%. And IMDb is slightly lower at 8.2. And as usual, I'm going to be really, really boring. I just agree. <laughs> and say that that is pretty spot on for me. I would give it an 8.5 or a 9 if not a 9.5 i think i think it's pretty flawless to be honest the way i feel about the film is similar to the way i felt about nocturnal animals however i feel like nocturnal animals has the edge over it um they're completely different films so it's hard it's mm, what i'm saying is it's how it left me feeling yeah. but you know when we left nocturnal animals the film watching it i was pretty convinced that i was like well this is just going to be a, a, a flat out good film when we came to discussing it and it was true it was yeah I feel like this film might actually be underrated in that I feel like it should be talked about more than it it is in terms of the fact that it's... Like it's cultural relevance and stuff. Yeah, and the fact that, like, I feel like this film is probably not even talked about within film circles. There's so many beautiful things in the movie that are so kind of... Okay, maybe they're a bit Oscar baity, but I don't care, I like it. I, I think the performances are solid, the story is solid, the writing is solid, soundtrack solid. There's just nothing, like, there's, if I'm really honest, there's nothing that I dislike about it. I like that it has a, a, a kind of a sad ending. Well, it's not really sad, but like a... Do you know what? I think it might have been, I think I'm conflating how I feel like it's uh, it's thought about with how I thought about it. Because I think it was underrated to me because I thought it wasn't going to be as good as it was. Yeah, and I and I would, I would agree in that in that sense. Um because I didn't think it was going to be that as good. It's almost, weirdly, and it might just be like mind games because it's Francis McDormand, but it almost feels like a Cohen, like a, like a good Cohen movie. It so does, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it does. It does, doesn't it? It's it so does. Far, it's, it's, not, it's not Fargo, it's not Fargo, but it's it has similarities that are... But she's never going to shake that stink off. No, and and I don't stink. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think she wants to. Because when she does shake that stink off, I mean, have you ever seen Cohen's Burn After Eden? No. 
Well, she's not great in that film. Oh, is she not? But my point is, she went against type in that film. Whereas, like you just like you said earlier, she plays the straight comedic role so well. Mm, she does. She really, really does. Like she, she never has to sort of like go slapstick. And actually, I think that's true of all of the main actors in this one. Even, even Buddy Buddy Harrison, I'll admit. I even enjoyed um, Red. Oh, I really enjoyed it, and I loved. Oh, I really loved that scene um, in the hospital with uh, with Red and and um, and Dixon. And I thought, I thought it was really sweet in the kind of the, the kind of the motif of like forgiveness and like admitting that you're, there's a lot, a lot of it is just about forgiveness. I think it's just about like being honest with what you've done and sort of accepting it and like being better. That's what all of them do. I think in the movie. I think I have to go against my bias and say, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a good film because I think I personally feel it's underrated because I underrated it myself. But I think I think if you look at the scores of the websites that we use, it's generally a good film. But do you know what? I'm looking. I'm just looking at the Google image search for the posters just because we were talking about the marketing. It is so... It is, it is shown to be so serious. Oh, it's like, so... It's Oscar Beatty. All, all of the, like, posters and stuff... Even of like Dixon and like, and the sheriff who are like pretty laid back. They're all like staring angrily at the camera, and it's like it's not even like the the tone of the movie. It's just weird, isn't it? Do you think though a part of it might be the fact that because of the subject matter of like rape and murder, if they'd made the posters funny, it would would have felt like they were sort of using that as a funny tool. Maybe yeah, definitely. I can see how like yeah, that sort of thing could come across badly PR wise. <laughs> yeah, because I think the director was definitely commenting on the fact that like rape and women's bodies are like disposable in like a mm. in our society. Mm, yeah, I would agree. I'm not, I'm not saying they are. Just to make that clear. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> uh, you monster. Oh god. Um, oh, I thought I thought it's fantastic. I would I would say I. It's hard for me because. I go quite a lot on emotion and sometimes when a movie is like, when I can't find anything that I don't like about a movie, to me that's a 10. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's I, I, go, I literally go on it, well, te- if 10 is perfect, if 10 is like, there was nothing wrong with it. Um, I think everyone is, everyone is very like, um, reluctant to give 10s. Do you know what I think? But I think there are some movies that are tens to you. Like to me, Jaws is a ten. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's nothing I don't like about that movie. And with this, is similar. I think with media in general, I think they don't want the backlash from people. You know, so if you put, yeah. if you gave something a ten, they'll go, "That's not a ten. Yeah, yeah. But I think people are these days are a bit more snobbish than what they used to be. In that, I think there's a lot more tens out there than people actually think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like I can watch. If you put it in the category of its peers, for instance, like yes. if you compared sort of like action films like Mission Impossible, James Bond, that sort of thing, you could give things a lot more tens because they do things more intelligently. Like for instance, Skyfall, in my opinion, is a ten. Yeah, I like Skyfall. I've only, I've only watched it the once though, so I can't really tell you. But because yeah. Sam Mendes gives a bit more class and intelligence to that film than a lot of James Bond films I've had in the past. But the thing is, as well, is that things age too. Yeah, I, mean, I, I remember. I remember when um american beauty was like the movie of all time everyone just jizzed over american beauty yeah. and don't get me wrong it's a very good movie and there are some bits in it that are uh, just really really good 
other bits are a bit trite, if I'm honest. It doesn't mean I don't enjoy it. I do enjoy it. But your opinion changes over time as to what you see as, like, you know, culturally relevant and even fashionable, you know. So, I mean, this one, I don't really see aging that badly, to be honest. Um, okay, no, I think I think we both agree it's a good film. Oh, I have to just put in, I have to just put in that I really love the deer scene with the deer. Oh, I totally, oh my God, yeah, I totally forgot about that. That was so, like, sad and sort of... But did you have a dreaded sense of, like, terror watching that? I thought it was going to get shot. Yes, so did I. (laughs) And I think the director did that on purpose. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, it was shot very off-kilter. Like, when the the shots were of the deer, I was thinking, hmm, something's... But I think it was meant. To, I think it was meant to make you feel like that. I'm just. I'm glad it didn't get shot though. That's my point. <laughs> oh yeah, me too. <laughs> but no, I thought that was um that was quite sweet. I'm glad they didn't overdo it though. I didn't want it to be like, oh yeah, she keeps seeing these visions of a deer and it's her daughter. Like nah, like yeah, like she said that you're not her. Yeah, and then she had a little cry. I thought that was quite. Yeah, funny. yeah, yeah. That was a good oh, scene. That was a very good scene. Lovely. Oh, well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. I was a bit worried. So before we go, we've got a bit of housekeeping to let you guys in on. Oh, I hate housekeeping. Yes. Because next month is the spooky month of October. Ooh. We are releasing our first special edition podcast. So it'll be a spin-off of our normal movie review podcast. And it'll be a top 10 list of horror films. So it'll be Jess's top 10 and my top 10 and we'll do it concurrently going from 10 to 1 uh, discussing why we like the film and why we just... It's our personal top 10. So it's not saying it's a top 10 of films that, you know, everyone's going to love. It's what it's we not, love. It's not, it's not the Watch Mojo list. No, that's no. Because sure. <laughs> I find them very perfunctory sometimes because you know, they go for the obvious thing and the number one, you're yeah. like... You're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think my number one would probably be very obvious. But yeah, the special edition podcast will be released midway through October. And then <laughs> me and Jess know what we're going to talk about for our next film review. But you're going to have to listen to the special edition one because it will tell you then. And that podcast will be released on Halloween because I think it's only fitting that you can have a podcast to listen to when you go out and trick or treat. <laughs> <laughs> Even though that's not a thing over here. Yeah, it's not really, is it? That's a shame. Not really a thing, yeah. I wish we celebrated Halloween more than we do. <laughs> Well, my mum always says that it's... Well, my dad actually says it's begging. Yes! (laughs) That's what mine say. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Jess, I had a lot of fun with this film and I hope the listeners did too. Yeah, and it's your turn next for for the regular podcast, right? For November. No, 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 it's yours. So we're going to skip because mine was going to be for October. Are you sure? Do you not want it for November? Unless you want December. Uh, No, not really. I can't wait. I can't wait for December because I'm not a Christmas movie person. Oh. I know. It's terrible. Well, spoilers, people, we will be doing a Christmas film for Christmas. Is that really a spoiler? <laughs> no, not really. Just to let you into a bit of like behind the scenes, guys. <laughs> behind the scenes. <laughs> we did discuss doing a top 10 Christmas films and then me and Jess realised that we're big, massive Scrooges and mm-hmm. we can pick 10 films. Maybe top three at <laughs> push. And one of them will definitely be Die Hard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> die Hard One, Die Hard Two, Die Hard Three. Well, Die Hard Three is not in Christmas. I'll make it. I'll, I'll make a link. <laughs> I hope the fans love the banter. Otherwise, I know. Like this closing segment is going to be really annoying for them. Like, oh my god! Can you just get to the point, please? 
I don't care about your lives. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. We'll see you next time, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. 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 Thank you for coming. Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. 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 You've been listening to Really Rated, a movie review podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not dive into our archives and catch up on the movie reviews you might have missed? And have your say by sending your own thoughts and questions of the films you've discussed so far to reallyrated at gmail.com. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and stay up to date with the latest episodes. And spread the word that we are now available at Podbean, iTunes, Spotify and Google Play Music. Until next time, film fans. Keep Keep it it really really rated. rated.